0: Hi, just a quick heads up. We realize that this episode is a little bit longer than usual, but we think that David's personal story is important to understand the level of injustice and maltreatment uh, of, a, of a convert because of his difficult past but hearing his personal work and transformation is very relevant to that. So we think that this is an important insight into Israeli policy and certain injustices, but it takes a while to get to that part. So hang in there, it's not boring any of it, but it is a little longer than usual and there's some technical difficulties that I hope won't bother you, but it's a very important episode. So please listen, enjoy and kharakasamer. <laughs> Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Alan?
1: Doing okay, Mike.
0: All right, okay is as good as we can get. Uh, Today's topic, we're really going to be talking about the bureaucratic obstacles to uh, Jews who have Jews by choice, Jews who have converted to becoming part of Israeli society. And for that, we have, uh, I think, a very interesting guest with a very interesting perspective. Alan, would you please introduce our guest?
1: I'd be honored and privileged to introduce David Ben Moshe, who is a father, Orthodox Jew, and a movement coach who currently lives in Jerusalem. In his early 20s, while he was in federal prison, um, he found Judaism, a love for fitness, and decided to change his life to help others. Um. And I just, uh, federal prison, I uh, assume, is in, uh, in the United States, you were talking about.
2: Yeah. Yes, in the United States.
0: Before you came to Israel. Well, welcome, David. Nice to have you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, our pleasure. So we read about your story in the Jerusalem Post, and uh, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the article. You definitely, I can definitely tell from the sounds behind you that you are a father. <laughs> I hear the, uh, so, yeah. so our <laughs> listeners get a chance to to get listen to into your life a life, little bit, which all is the
2: family cool. together. <laughs> if it is dinner time, but uh, bath time, it'll get much less quiet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. Um, and in the Jerusalem Post, the story was, I found, particularly strange, because I know that uh, often uh, people come to Israel under the law of return, which recognizes them as a Jew and gives them citizenship. And then when they want to get married, the rabbinate uh, doesn't recognize their Jewish nature. And that we did an episode on that. But But in your story, it's kind of the reverse, isn't it?
2: It's the complete reverse, kind of. I came, um, well, so I applied for Aliyah first, and then it took them so long to respond to me that my marriage was in the interim and I got married through the (laughs) Revenant. And then in the end, they ended up denying my Aliyah application because of my conversion, even though I was married through the Israeli Revenant.
1: That's crazy. (laughs) That Uh That is is the
0: strangest case. I honestly don't think that's a very common situation.
2: Um, I have never heard of anyone else who had the exact same problem, and it's very unique. And if you read the laws the way they're written, it's very clear that it can really never happen. So it's not very clear how we ended up here in this place we are now, other than them not following the laws as written. <laughs>
1: Should, maybe and we that should, leaves uh, us in we this weird
0: limbo, and... well, it leaves you in this weird limbo situation and us worrying about you. Yeah, let's go back to that story. Now, it said that you were in a federal in prison situation because of it. What does that mean?
2: Yes. It. So in America, there are two prison systems, the state's prison system mm-hmm. and the federal prison system. Think of it like... Um, Every state is almost like its own country, has its own laws, and then there's a certain set of laws that govern the entire country, so you can end up in state prison or federal prison, depending on what your case looks like and who wants to pick it up.
1: So what happened to you?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So I was convicted for one count of distribution of oxycodone and one count of unlicensed dealing of firearms. And how long... Were you in prison? So I was sentenced to 30 months, I was released as early as possible, which I believe was 27 months because of good behavior. Um, One of the interesting um, differences you talk about the systems is in the state systems there's a concept known as like parole and early release. And in the federal system there is no concept like that kind of it's got a different more complicated system but at the end of the day everyone does at least 85 percent of the time that they're sentenced to
1: so and then in the in prison you made to... your turn towards towards judaism
2: yeah yeah that's why i found judaism and kind of started the which is also
0: pretty unusual isn't today. it yeah <laughs> isn't that, very, isn't that uh, uh, i mean unusual I've heard of people finding religion in prison, but rarely a non-Jew finding Judaism in prison. How did that happen?
2: Yeah, There's lots of people who find Christianity, lots and lots of people yeah. who find Islam, but Judaism is not really so much. So the way it happened was an interesting story. So I was in the library one day, and the compound was locked down. So I used to have to explain what lockdown means to people because they didn't really know what it is. But now, thanks to corona, everyone understands what it means when you're locked down.
0: <laughs>
2: so we lost our freedom of yeah. movement. And, and we're... So I was in the library for like five hours with no information, unable to go anywhere else. And You don't and know I'm why I'm there's a lockdown at the prison. There and I'm bored. So sometimes we find out later... Sometimes we never find out. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way it works in the system is there are different buildings on the pound. And every hour on the hour, you're supposed to be able to move from one building to any other building you're allowed to. Unless there's a lockdown. And Mm -hmm. lockdowns sometimes happen because there's a violent incident. Sometimes they happen because they want to do something administrative-wise. Sometimes they just don't feel Mm -hmm. like having it because, you know, we don't have a lot of rights being prisoners.
0: Hmm. So So what happened um, during this particular one? Mm
2: -hmm. I'm just bored to death because that's most of what you do. I see a guy who's reading a book in a language I can't understand. So I look over, see what he's reading, and conversation starts, and he explains to me, you know, he's reading the Bible. He says, like, you know, this up here is the text. And then here underneath, we have the different, like, explanations of what it means. So, like, for this verse, like, this person says it means this. This person says it means this. This person says that this person's wrong and it means this. And that really is what grabbed me. Because I was raised in evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. And everything I knew about religion was that all religious sects have one explanation for what a religious book meant, and you kind of accepted that explanation, or you got to go to hell.
0: There's one acceptable dogma that you have to buy into.
2: Yeah, and there's for every single thing, and it's all fairly consistent. Now, the idea that you would Mm -hmm. have, like, the Bible, which is a religious book I'm familiar with, and have, like, a religious book... And have multiple people giving different opinions that sometimes differ and contradict as to what something means and having multiple interpretations kind of struck me as something odd. And then it sparked my interest. I learned more and more and eventually was like, hey, like this seems like the thing that is for me. Like I'm really called to be this. Oh, wow. And then were were you a very spiritual
0: person before? You said you were raised.
2: So I wasn't a, very I think our bad internet before. connection, we're talking over each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was not very spiritual before. Was, when I was raised Christian, kind of did all the uh-huh. stuff you had to do, which is like less inconvenient than, say, Judaism because there's less like roles and <laughs> obligations. But then never really like kind of like hit me like the same way that Judaism ended up taking me.
1: What other resources? And can you you tell us about this guy who
0: was reading the book?
2: Yep, he was just another inmate who was reading the book, and we had a few conversations. He told me about the different like ideas that Judaism has about um, interpretations. He told me about how the Torah is fundamentally different than the rest of the books. And that was another kind of differing thing between that and Christianity, because in like Christianity, you've got like the whole Bible, and it's like all equal. Mm-hmm. And instead you have like Judaism where it's like, well, like, you know, the Torah is like on its own level. And then you have, you know, the rest of the Tanakh, and then you have the Mishnah, and then the Gemara, and it's like different levels of um, holiness, you could say, to like how sacred the text is.
0: Go ahead, Alan.
1: So just uh, how did, like I mean, so you, you met this guy and you did, but how did you get further resources in prison to keep studying about Judaism? So there was a rabbi who would come in occasionally who I would meet with,
2: and he gave me some resources until one day he just suddenly stopped coming, and that's not something I ever explained to you, and then found some books, and then just did as much as I could, and then once I left, the first thing I did was go to an Orthodox synagogue, Bene Israel, in Baltimore, and like start my conversion process. Well, I started immediately. Um, there was a little bit of a delay because what happened was, so when you're released from federal prison, you go to a place called a halfway house. Mm-hmm. Now the joke is, is that you're halfway in, not halfway mm-hmm. out. And Mm -hmm. so, like, the first thing that happens when you get there is they want to prove that to you. So, like, you come and they go, okay, you're now locked down for the next week and you can't go anywhere because you arrived, Mm -hmm. which makes you a security risk by default. (laughs) So, and then once you are allowed to go places, the way it works is you have to put in a pass. The pass has to be approved by your supervisor to go up for a certain amount of time for a specific reason. And if it's approved, you can then go out. And my first pass was to go out on Shabbat to B'nai Israel Congregation in Baltimore. And that became my spiritual home. Uh, I talked with the rabbi there about converting the first day that I came. And it was a rabbi either. And then what he told me was, you know, it's great that you want to, but I can't help you. And the reason he told me was because he's like, so I'm making Aliyah in six months. The process generally takes at least a year. And you really Mm -hmm. want to have the same rabbi with you the entire time. Like, wouldn't it be fair for you to start the process with me? And then this new Mm -hmm. rabbi comes in in six months, and then you start the process over again Mm -hmm. with him. So when the new rabbi comes, talk to him, and then you can get the process started. And when the new rabbi came in, Rabbi Eitan Mintz, I started the process with him, and I finished it with him, and we're still good friends and talk to this day. And you found
1: the community welcoming to you?
2: Extremely. Uh, the first time I showed up, um, a guy named Fred comes and opens the doors. Um, came, he welcomed me and I was just accepted immediately. Completely warm welcoming community, amazing experience. Can I ask Actually, you why he, you picked an went, Orthodox we synagogue? Stay in
0: <laughs> you and Fred. So,
2: from what, what I learned of the different strains of Judaism. Orthodox seemed to keep the tradition the best as far as Mm -hmm. having a longer lineage of doing things a certain way and being able to justify the reasoning behind things better. And then from a practical aspect, there's different accepted standards of Judaism and mm-hmm. no one debates that the Orthodox Jews are Jews. And that was something that went to my consideration as to like what mm-hmm. type of Jew I wanted to be just because, you know, uh, I've got great friends who are Reform Jews and conservative Jews, and it is a whole nother discussion about their Jewish status both halakhically and in the state of Israel and many other things. But for me, I wanted to go for the highest bar that I could find that I thought was reasonable, which for me meant orthodox.
0: So it's a mixture of philosophical and um, uh, tactical, really. It's a... Yes. Now, now, how did you end up here in, in Israel?
2: Is something that...
0: Go ahead. So...
2: My path to Israel is also interesting.
0: <laughs>
2: so when I was in Baltimore, I got my life back together and became pretty successful at my job. Which I was? I work as a personal trainer. That's a mm-hmm. yeah, personal trainer. So it's actually an interesting story how I found that job too because that was also a huge, huge blessing. So I was re- released from prison And I had no real work experience, no college degree, no money, absolutely nothing.
0: How old were you?
2: I knew I wanted to be a personal trainer. 24. Wow. No, 23, 24. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I decided that I should split my applying for jobs between the jobs that I could actually get and the jobs that I wanted kind of alternating between the two. Mm -hmm. Like what I did was, it's really terrible, the halfway house and the system they have in America because they kind of just put up every single barrier they can to make your life difficult and set you up to fail, which I believe Mm -hmm. is a big reason why the recidivism is so bad in the country. Like there's just no help just trying to make things difficult. Hmm. So I was applying for jobs for basically eight hours a day and I would alternate between applying for fast food jobs and personal training jobs because fast food is like the only thing you can really get hired for when you're a felon with no skills and no education.
0: Although it doesn't really and, go with the full physical fitness turned... philosophy.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was turned down from every single fast food place for this reason. When you start in any type of restaurant industry, at the entry level, they want you to work nights and weekends. And from day one, I refused to work on Shabbat, which was just a deal breaker. Wow. Which then, I guess, gave me enough time applying to gyms where I eventually found a gym that would hire me. And by Hmm. would hire me... I mean, they had such a convoluted hiring <laughs> process that they didn't really realize what they were doing. Wow. It's <laughs> actually a cool story because so, uh, at this particular gym, they have, I went through three interviews. And like, uh, like a year after I've been hired, I was talking with the manager who hired me, like asked me about the criminal record I told her, and she goes, wow. Like, I never knew that, and then I like, looked into it, and what it turns out happened was I'd marked, I had the criminal record, and we'll explain it at the interview, and every interviewer expected someone else uh, to wow. ask about it. And they wouldn't have hired you if they had known so, like, what the record was?
0: Her... No. But they knew you had a criminal record, so that wasn't, but it's because it yeah. was federal?
2: I mean, so in America, we have this kind of double standard between certain crimes mm-hmm. where pretty much once you have anything that is drug-related because of, like, the war on drugs, mm-hmm. your life is effectively over.
0: Right. Wow. So, oh, because it was, so because it was a drug crime, so, um, part of it was a drug crime, they wouldn't have given you the job.
2: Yeah, and, Yeah. And interestingly enough... Um from a legal standpoint, the drugs are the worst thing ever. The weapons aren't that bad
1: that's crazy so i've got thirty months for my crimes drug drug, um, uh, d- dr- drug for, uh, criminals in America often get worse uh, punishments than people who are are uh, convicted of crimes against humanity, war crimes and genocide in, in, in international courts. <laughs>
2: All the time. My roommate, who I got very close to, had just a drug-related race. He went in at age 19 with 35 years.
0: Whoa. And does that break and down also 30... on ethnic lines?
2: Um, all the studies I've read say that, yes. Kind racial, of African-American racial. offenders yeah, with... Similar crimes and similar criminal histories still get more time than non-black offenders. It's just how people of the color get
0: worse works. sentences. Wow. All right. Yes. So now back. So now your you're, you're physical training in this gym, and that job is going well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So within six months, I became the number one employee in the company. Wow. And then I quickly was promoted to a higher position and moved to another gym, and there I became the number one employee in that position as well.
1: And that that and, corresponded with your conversion and, process? Yes. All this was at the nice. same time.
2: It was a very crazy time where I was doing... And so it gets crazier because... So what happened was I was... I kind of fell into like a specialization of pain management, injury rehabilitation, and injury prevention. Wow. And was working closely with, like, a lot of physical therapists in the area. One of them who I still talk to is uh, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt, who, interestingly enough, like, we became good friends through, like, sending clients back and forth, is he also is the physical therapist for Team Israel Baseball and for Israel Lacrosse. Oh, wow. He's based in Baltimore and just goes back and forth all the time.
0: So, so, you, so your focus wasn't just must, physical fitness for its own sake. It was like this, it had this, uh, this, not medical exactly, but this therapeutic aspect.
2: Yeah. Which is very useful because it allowed me to... Communicate better with medical professionals because like I learned enough to speak their language, to know the same mm-hmm. type of exercise they're doing, so that we could work together as a team to help people get out of pain first and foremost and then get them to reach their physical fitness goals. Because we can't get you very fit if you have constant low back pain. It's just not going to happen. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So then I eventually got so good at that that Um, co-workers and clients and physical therapists that I worked with encouraged me to become a physical therapist myself.
1: Oh, right.
0: Hmm.
2: So that that was like a very scary decision for me.
0: Well, that's a lot of training, and you're already doing um, this conversion training.
2: Yeah, so I'm doing the conversion training. I'm working full-time. Like I said, I've got no college degree, and I've always done poorly in school, in the past Mm -hmm. and then to become a physical therapist you have to first get an undergraduate degree physical therapy is a three year doctoral program so you have to do a lot of the same prereqs that medical school students have to do as far as like the biologies and the chemistries and the physics And physical therapy schools, because there's such a small number of them, are extremely competitive. Like, more competitive than getting into medical school as far as the grades you need. Like, most good physical therapy schools, like, you don't get in without, like, at least a 3.7, 3.8 GPA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but I was stupid enough to try. And managed to get into Towson University, which was a huge blessing because my younger brother was also studying there for his degree. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. So then I'm doing the conversion process and working full time and in school full time. Wow. Wow. And then, to make things better, um, an opportunity happened at a yoga studio that I knew for me to open my own uh, personal training studio inside of it. Oh, wow. So, then I left the gym and started my own business. So, then I'm running my own business, which turns out to be way more than full-time hours and doing the conversion process and in school full-time. Basically, you didn't sleep. Um I like to explain it like this. Like, sometimes I explain this to my wife when she says I work too hard. I'm like, no, no, no." no, I've, like, toned it down. I would, like, be in my studio at my desk doing homework until I fell asleep on the floor. (laughs) And then my alarm went off and I'd wake up and start training clients. And doing business stuff, and then in the middle of the day, go to school, come back, and then do homework and train clients until I fell asleep on the floor and got another four hours of sleep for a very long time, which is not the wisest, healthiest way to live your life. No. But it a, ended up being effective. I probably lost good training for parenthood in my life, but
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> better than working in fast food.
2: It's healthier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then I ended up, and also I was doing some volunteer work at the time, so one of my clients was a member of the SWAT team, and I started helping the Baltimore Police Department with their physical fitness testing and training programs as well, and I also did some volunteer work for like my shul and some other organizations around Baltimore as well, so it was a very mm-hmm. busy time, but it paid off. I managed to graduate with a 4.0 wow. GPA. Wow. Well, having a successful business and doing an orthodox conversion.
1: And how'd you make the turn to Israel?
2: So then during the last semester of my degree program, I was applying to physical therapy schools and I got into two of the top 10 physical therapy schools in the nation, (laughs) the University of Southern California and the University of Florida. So I went and visited both and decided to go to the University of Florida, mostly because they were both top 10 schools. The University of Southern California was the number one program in the nation. The okay. University of Florida is number right. 10. But the University of Florida was like $200,000 cheaper <laughs> per year. Whoa. Or over the course of the program. So like thinking about like student debt, what yeah. I didn't consider is that... Florida is definitely not the liberal state that California is. Uh So I formally turned down the school in California, accepted the school in Florida, and then a few weeks after I'd done that, I started getting weird calls from the University of Florida. Where, like, they would ask me for, like, like I got a call, like, can we get, like, your name and your social security number and your home address? And I'm like, okay. And, like, I put these on an application and I kept getting mm-hmm. more stuff. And they started asking for paperwork. So, eventually, I called them up and was like, well, what's going on? Like, you have all the stuff for the application. Yeah. And then they're like, no. Oh. So, what it is, is you have a criminal record and If you have a criminal record and you've only been accepted into the graduate physical therapy program. For everyone without a criminal record, you are automatically accepted into the regular school once you're accepted into the graduate program. Since you have the criminal record, you have to apply to the school as well. So then I tried to, like, make a fuss. I'm like, I've got the letter of conditional acceptance. It is like a legal contract. It says nothing about another application. It just says I'm in as long as I maintain my grades and finish all my classes with all the pre-works I have to do to get in. Like, how can you do this? And they just told me that it's policy. It's how it is. There's nothing we can do about it. So then I talked to some friends who are lawyers, and what they told me was effectively this. They said, look, yes, you have a criminal record, but you're already in the graduate program. You are currently enrolled in a public university in the United States, and you've had no behavior incidents, and you have a 4.0 GPA. On top of that, you can provide letters of reference from police officers, right. judges, and rabbis. <laughs> there is zero chance that you cannot get into a different public university in the United States. Right. So just jump through the hoops, give them the paperwork. When they get back to you, then things will move forward. Right. So I jumped through the works, gave them the paperwork, and they said that it usually takes about a week for response for this type of thing but it's what they call a rolling basis. And I got them to clarify what rolling basis means. It turns out it's code word for we're not obligated to answer you in any time frame. We'll tell you when we tell you. That's how this works. So instead of being a week, it ended up taking about three months, which were three of the most stressful months of my
1: life. You're no stranger to bureaucracies uh, messing you around.
2: Yeah. And then at the end of that, which is well after I could have contacted the other school to try to get in or try to do something else, and I had to close down my business and my lease because of the timeline of like moving down there for school to start, they denied me. Oh, Whoa. Wow. Right. Yeah. So then I'm sitting there and I've got, you know, my lease is ended, my business is closed, I've expected to move. And I don't know what I want to do exactly. And a few years earlier, I'd done a birthright trip. And during the birthright trip, I really connected to the land of Israel and felt that I would live here one day. And I figured that one day would be like in the future, after I did my career and retired, I come to Israel mm-hmm. like the standard like type of thing. A lot of people do that. And I figured like, you know what? This, Yeah, this must be Hashem's way of telling me that, hey... You're ready to go. Go. So then I came to Israel, and that's how I. So I originally planned. I talked to my rabbi. It was like, great. You want to make Aliyah? Awesome. Birthright is great. And before you actually decide this is what you want to do, you should go take a pilot trip there first. Mm. On something a little bit less structured, explore the country, get to know it. Because, like, it's easy to, like, fall in love on a week. You want to, like, make, like, a practical decision. Less touristy. More... So I told him...
0: That's very good yeah. advice.
2: So, yeah. So I scheduled a two-and-a-half-month trip to study at the summer program at a place called right. Mm-hmm. In Jerusalem. Huh? And then... a yeah, and to have a few extra weeks to kind of um, chill around the country, see what it was like. Then I would come back, start working, save money, and then the next summer make out, Mm-hmm. which seemed like okay. a great plan. <laughs> so then I came for that two and a half months. God has study. different ideas. Yeah, and Apparently. met this very nice girl,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then I... Ended up getting, so I come to the summer program, and then I won a so, social justice fellowship at Cardace, which, like, helped me use living expenses, as well as got a grant from Massa to study there. And oh, And wow. decided to just do the full year-long program at oh, Cardace. And study there for a year. Things were the oh, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, things with that girl went very, very well. And then in the February, we got engaged. Mm-hmm. And funny story about her parents. So I told you I studied at a place called Pardes. Mm-hmm. Her parents studied there 30 years, I guess more than 30 years beforehand and actually met through uh-huh. there. Oh, wow, and even my Tanakh teacher at Pardes was the same Tanakh teacher they both had, and he wow. was still a very close family friend, Rabbi Mare Schweiger at right.
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of how I came to Israel. Wow.
1: Cool, and uh, and so you've never left since then,
2: so short periods right. of time, mm-hmm. so. After the two-and-a-half-month pilot trip, when I decided to come back for the year program, I went back for a week for my mother's 60th birthday oh, wow. and to, like, sell my car and straighten up some loose right. ends. But, but, but. Yeah. And then, yeah, but then I've effectively been in the country since, like, the pilot trip
1: just kind of got extended into this day of me living in And you applied Israel. for Israel in in Israel? You applied for Aliyah in Israel?
2: Yeah. So, as my student visa was ending for Pardes...
0: Which is, is like a year, a the first before,
2: year. Yeah. I put in my initial application for Aliyah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And?
0: Which should be easy now. This should be like and downhill. This is just, you're here, you're applying. This is not unusual for students to yeah, do this. I mean...
2: Yep, yeah, I mean, you. it should have been very easy, but that's actually where the story kind of spins out of control for a second time, which is one of the reasons yeah. we're here today.
0: Right. So, so then I you, get... Go ahead.
2: Oh, so I put in my application. I get all the paperwork together. And the first thing, and I meet with a lawyer because I've got the criminal record. And the lawyer tells me, he's like, look you have a great, great application. The law of mm-hmm. return says they can only reject you because of a criminal record if you are likely to endanger public welfare, which mm-hmm. very clearly we can see from your history, from you've come out and your conversion, that you are not. He said it also not helps you. that you converted after you, after you got done with the whole prison thing. It's not like, oh, you became a Jew, went to prison like it's a transformative experience like you should mm-hmm. be very clear good to go. It's like but we always have to be careful so the number one thing that you should watch for is making sure that you don't break laws here mm-hmm. which is why it is important that you have a visa to remain in the country. Mm-hmm. So as my student visa was ending they still hadn't um, replied to my Application, I went into the office and said, like, hey, like, you haven't responded. I need a visa. Mm-hmm. And then the Minister of the Interior is like, no, 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 no. You don't need a visa as long as you have a pending Ale application. You okay. are fine as long as you have it. And I said, okay, can you like give me something in writing? Yeah. And I said, sure. They gave me a piece of paper that was in Hebrew that I didn't really understand. And I thought I was good. So then I went abroad to, to Europe for a workshop to study, like, breathing relaxation techniques. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I showed them a piece of paper. And as soon as they saw the piece of paper, they said, we need you to go to this back office. And in this back office in Bengorian Airport, I was detained and interrogated for five hours where Border Control made it abundantly clear that there is... No law that you get to just stay in the country when you don't have a visa. You always need to have a visa. The ministry lied to me. I was like basically begged and said like, look, I've got a wedding scheduled for August. Like I get in the country. Yeah. They eventually give me a visa and tell me like, okay, but make sure you always have a visa. Okay. So I get into the country have oh. the wedding the wedding is Let's just, wait, beautiful. before that can we just in, go
1: back I, to the wedding so you go to the rabbinut to register to get married and yep. they say
2: so i give my we give our application to rabbinut Zahar. So right. they give the file to a rabbi Reuven Spolzer. and then he mm-hmm. investigates he gets all the documents he calls all the rabbis on the Beit Din. He makes sure that they're recognized Jewish congregations, that they're all in good standing, and that the whole thing is kosher. And he did that investigation and decided, like, yes, this is kosher. He is an Orthodox Jew,
1: and so they approved the wedding. Yes, and the, and the fact that you weren't an so Israeli that, didn't matter, Kilo. You didn't have uh, you weren't an no, Anakin, but by the way, your so your wife had citizenship. Or no?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So my my wife's family made Aliyah when
1: she uh-huh. was five years old.
2: Okay. Uh huh. So she'd been yeah. here for a while. Like a yeah.
0: returning Israeli. Yeah.
2: So yeah. Well, I mean, she no, she grew never up really here. Left.
0: Right. Oh oh. Yeah. She grew up here. Oh wow. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah yeah. So her she's like her family made Aliyah when she was five, and she grew up in Beersheba and was just happened to be in Jerusalem teaching Hebrew mm. when I met her. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And so, what the law says about marriage in the state of Israel is that basically, because it's a religious marriage, as long as you're both Jewish, you can get married in Israel. No problem. Well, I should qualify that because of the earlier discussion. As long as you're both Orthodox Jews, well, you can get married well, that, in the state well, of Israel. Well,
1: or no recognized as Jews by the Orthodox establishment, a bit more.
2: Yeah. Like you could be a non practicing Jew who's recognized as an Orthodox Jew by the establishment because of the way the Halakha works.
1: Right. So so okay, so then you so they approve the marriage and you get married and then Correct.
2: And then we go back to waiting for a response from the Ministry of the Interior. Which was a tough time because I had the tourist visa, but I didn't have a work visa. So I'm like sitting in the country waiting for a response without the ability to work being a newly So eventually I start going to the office saying like we need to like get this moving and they schedule an interview. And the interview was a absolutely Terrible experience. Um, kind of. So I go in for the interview, and they like start off like extremely rude, but like you expect like misreaders of like oh like you mm-hmm. know why we're here. It's like we have some important questions to ask you, and then the questions were either like tainted as insulting. Or sometimes just outright insulting. For example, they're like, "Oh, tell us about like how you spend your day," and they'd be like, "Oh, you are like, I go to synagogue after synagogue, I study Mishnah." And like, "Oh, you study Mish- Mishnah? How do you study Mishnah?" Like, "Oh, I study it on my smartphone. Like, I can show you while I'm studying today." The and they're like, "Oh, so you're a Orthodox Jew with a smartphone?" And it's like, "Yes, smartphones are." Allow like can have a smartphone and use it to study Mishnah. That's a pretty acceptable thing to do. <laughs> and then they start getting to like, oh, so like you converted, and like that's funny because you don't look like a convert. And I'm like, well, like what exactly does that like? How do you not look like a convert? And like, well, I mean, like look at your kippa. I'm like, I can't wear kippa like the kippa I'm wearing and be a convert. And it's then knit? eventually they got the thing. It's like,
1: yes. Is it a, a? This is all in English or Hebrew?
0: Um, mostly right. English. And do you think there's like and a racist thing energy. going on here, or is this just a, like a crazy bureaucrat being just a general idiot?
2: Well, I'll let you decide after I get through. Like. Okay. The next progression of this conversation where they're like, oh, so you got married. Like, yeah, I got married. And they're like, well, you know, how could your wife's parents accept you? Did they come to the wedding? Whoa. And like the interview kind of progresses on like that until eventually they say like, all right, we're done here. We'll get back to you when we get back to you. And then they renew my visa and say, before the visa expires, come back and we'll renew it. This could, you know, take a while because we need to investigate
1: things. And you're, they gave you a work visa, though, at this point? Uh,
2: still no, no work visa. Still a wow. Still a tourist visa. So then uh, another three months pass and that tourist via visa is about to expire. So I go to the ministry to get it renewed. And they're like, we can't renew the visa. I'm like, well, do you have a decision yet? They're like, no. like, well, why can't you renew the visa? So then they told me, well, we can't renew the visa because you have a pending OLA application. And if you're denied, we don't want you to be able to stay in the country any longer than after the No, Ignoring the fact there's like an appeals process and all that should they deny me. Yeah. I was like, well, like that's a problem because... I legally need a visa to stay in the country. And they're like, well, that is too bad because we are not going to give you one. So that's kind of where we Even though started, you're perfectly um, eligible. Yes. Yeah. So that's when we started, uh, we started at GoFundMe, which was successful to raising money. We got like the first exposure in the media. An article came out in Tablet Magazine about the situation that was going on and we kept trying to get something from the ministry because I was just in the country now fully illegally and with have a tourist visa and they just wouldn't respond to anything until we finally got a response from um, I've got a mutual friend and also the dean of Pardes are connected with um, former M.K. Michael right. Orrin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he gave in a request about the file and they responded to him. And in that response to him, they told him um, the reason that it's taking so long is he has a criminal record. We have to investigate the criminal record. Now remember this is nine months after the application right. in. It's like, And if he was worried about being in the country illegally, he should have made Aliyah from abroad.
1: Nice and sensitive. Which, I mean,
0: this is just garbage. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then about three weeks after that, we get a response to the application. And the response says that the application is denied because the conversion is unacceptable. But if he would like, he can apply for status to being an with an Israeli citizen in a relationship. Which kind of hit like the legal team completely out of left field because again the right of return says that if you're a person with a criminal history likely to endanger public welfare, they can deny your application. And that is a little bit subjective. Like very clearly we believe that I met those standards and it shouldn't be a problem. but it is something that they could like drag out. But saying my conversion's not good was completely crazy to us because I had an Orthodox aversion from abroad and a marriage certificate from the rabbinate.
1: And also conversions, it doesn't even have to be The Orthodox Israeli rabbinate has recognized your conversion is valid. Right. Yes. So uh, yeah. it does. We don't even need that because a conservative or a form conversion or any other, you know, right. uh, stream conversion from abroad uh, qualifies you as a, as qualifies a person to make uh, Aliyah under the Law of Return as a Jew, even though the Rabbinut. Or the exist. So, Either way.
0: Yeah, he, but here he's even cleared yeah. way past that hurdle. The the Rabbinate in yeah. Israel has recognized that, yeah,
1: it. I think both ways. There's
0: nothing. I mean, it's golden. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's what we thought going in, and that's why it was such a shock to be like, but the conversion is the problem? And then we're like, what does that mean? So we submit the appeal within the proper time frame, where we list the reasons why the conversion is valid, and also point out that it's hard, we can't respond to the specific problem with the conversion, because the ministry did not state what the problem was, they just stated the conversion was unacceptable and then because we saw the line about applying for citizenship through being married while waiting for the appeal we go in to apply for a visa for me to work based on being in a married relationship with an Israeli citizen and this is where it starts getting grim. holy air yeah <laughs> Yeah, so we come in for that with the application, and they're like, no, we can't accept this. So the reason they stated it was that to apply for status as married in the state of Israel, like for a status question, you have to have a civil marriage. Right. Civil marriages don't exist in the state of Brazil, only religious marriages. Therefore, no Israeli marriage is acceptable for being recognized as married and getting status as as a married couple in the country if you're a non-citizen.
0: Do you have any sense if this this has been applied to other people or is this just a weird... Are they finding this loophole for you or is this like... This cannot be standard operating procedure. It's insane. It's Kafka esque. Yes,
2: it is absolutely insane. And like the definition of Kafka esque. There are, there are other mean, cases here, that are insane um, that
1: this bureaucracy uses to, you know, people for, to keep people from getting citizenship, let's say. There are, there are other insane, but this is yeah. absolutely insane for sure.
2: Yeah. This one, yeah. we yeah. think what the, we, Our theory on this one is that it's written to law as such, but would never be a problem because there is a higher bar for Judaism, for getting married in the country, Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. there is for making aliyah. So Mm -hmm. theoretically, it's impossible for you to be denied aliyah and get married so you could never have the situation where someone would come in with a Jewish Israeli marriage certificate and ask for status to being married to a citizen because by evidence of that Jewish Israeli marriage certificate they are a recognized Jew and they can make aliyah which is actually what the person with the teak told us they're like you're in the wrong place you have this marriage certificate from the rabbinut you're Jewish just go next door and make aliyah yeah
1: I actually know of another case of, uh, of uh, from someone, from the, someone from the former Soviet Union who also, but hopefully like you, I mean, he actually got citizenship eventually, and hopefully you will too soon. But it is a similar where he was married under the Rabbanut, but didn't have, wouldn't get citizenship because they wouldn't recognize, uh, whatever. But uh, so it does. So we're running a little short on
0: time. You're yeah. still stuck currently in this limbo status?
1: Um,
2: so let me give you the short rundown because it just kind of gets crazier.
0: Yeah. So
2: we contact the Sahanut because the problem is the conversion, and the legal authority deciding who's acceptable for Ali as the Sahnoot. We have mm-hmm. them contact the Ministry of the Interior, and the Ministry of the Interior tells them, You can't help us, his conversion's fine, his criminal record's the problem. Now We tell the Saknut, like, it's great that they would say that, but I've got this official letter from them that says the problem is the conversion. The Saknut follows up, and the Ministry of the Interior says, we can't provide you with anything in writing because the case is sensitive because of the criminal record. We can only provide that to him in writing. So we ask them to provide me something in writing, and they refuse to give me anything in writing and refuse to meet with me or refuse to talk to me. But the Saknut is willing to take... The ministry at its word and stop helping me because they verbally wow. said that the criminal record's the problem, even though my piece of paper says the conversion is the problem. But the Saknut does manage to get me a visa to work based on being in an unmarried relationship with an Israeli citizen. Even though, of course, you're
0: married, right?
2: Yeah, so I've got the unmarried relationship with the Israeli citizen. And they told us that if we had a civil marriage, we could register as married. And because the ministry then refused to answer the appeal for about a year and a half, we decided to go to America and get a civil marriage. Go to America, get a civil marriage. Come back and apply to change the status to married because now we have a civil marriage. And now the ministry has said, Mm -hmm. no, you can't do that. And the reason... I can't get married civilly to my wife. It's because she's already registered as married, and therefore can't be married again. So they can't accept the civil marriage for her, which means they can't change my status.
1: This is not just Kafkaesque because
0: she's married to you. <laughs> she, she can't be can't mar- married she can't be now. registered as married to you. Correct.
1: This is more than Kafka. Because gets. that would
0: it's be effective. monogamy. Yeah.
2: Yes, by definition. Yeah. So then we get another letter. They, we finally managed to get a response to the appeal where they repeat that the conversion is unacceptable because it's unacceptable. And if you don't like it, you should take us to the Supreme Court. But my lawyers say we shouldn't go to the Supreme Court with that letter because they don't consider it Mm -hmm. good legal evidence because the letter, every single date in the letter is wrong and they can't just tell you to go to the Supreme Court because there's like lower Mm -hmm, courts you go to first and there's like a process. It's not just like, uh, oh, don't like our decisions, take us to the Supreme Court. So then we put in another request for them to tell us like what could possibly be wrong with this conversion. And then we get the article in the J-Post, which you read, where Mm -hmm. in response to that, the ministry again repeats to, now instead of the stock to the media, that the only thing stopping my application is the criminal record. But again, I've got these three letters, which all state in writing that the problem is the conversion, and they won't give anything in writing that says otherwise. And now our big worry is that because of all this media attention, they'll finally give in on the conversion and then mm-hmm. go, but we need to now investigate your criminal record, which is the oh real my. problem the right. entire time. Despite the two years you spent fighting the conversion, we really want some information on the criminal record and just kind of send me back into this endless loop of...
1: And so so wh- what, what do you think the real, like, for, like, when you lay awake at night thinking about this, why, why do you think you've been targeted but that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds more than just cuff gas It sounds like you've been targeted to me.
0: Which is strange in a bureaucracy because there's such a diffusion of responsibility It's so many different people. Who's who's behind this? What what does that mean?
2: That is a very good question. I mean, when I lay asleep at night, the thing that keeps me up is just a reinforcement of the simple fact that. We have this idea of shuvah in Judaism. But in our modern societies, it doesn't really exist. Like, what else could I possibly possibly do to be considered as safe and get my life back and be allowed to do anything? And the very unfortunate answer to that is that at least in America, you only get your life back if you are really good at sports or music. Like going back to that university that turned me down because I'm a danger, despite everything I've done afterwards. They are one of the worst universities as far as covering up criminal activity for drugs and weapons For football players and they're one of the top football programs in the nation Mm -hmm. like just like that's what Shuva means for African Americans in America is that like if you're good enough at sports we'll give you your life back and let you live a normal life but if you're not your life's just over forever here I think it is just a continuation of like oh you made a mistake it's not worth our time to make a logical decision about whether or not that mistake is in the past and you changed. It's much easier for us to just say no, but whatever means is most convenient for us. We also don't need to be consistent or tell you and other people the same story because when we tell anyone you have a criminal record, they have no reason to stand up for you and fight for your rights because you're just a criminal and no one cares about you.
1: Like a scarlet letter, so to speak, in your criminal past yeah. that, that nobody wants to let go. And of they that. kind of
0: think if they just keep rejecting you, you'll. What do they think? You're just going to give up and go live in somewhere else? Like what? What is? That's not an option I, for you. That's
2: why I think they. No, it's not an option for me. Like, I've got a wife here, I've got a child, I've got another baby on the way, and I'm a Jew who has the right to make a home here. Like, we've fought a lot to be able to live here in our land again, and it's very sickening that now it's other Jews who are preventing other Jews from living in the land for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that our Mm. listeners can do to help your cause at all? Is there anything we can do other than, you know, some pressure or or contribute to your legal funds? Or or is, is there anything we can do that I could put a link into the episode?
2: Yeah. So the GoFundMe that we started two years ago when they first started, the big mess is still active. People can still donate there. And then just sharing the story, so more people know about it and get more pressure on them. Kind of if, if I'm right, and their idea is just that they can treat me however they want to because I'm a criminal and people won't stand up for me. People standing up for me is the solution to show them that that's just mm. not true.
0: Right. That's a great way to think about it. Okay. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. As, yeah. That's reinforcing well, this idea. Okay. So we'll we'll do what I can, and I hope I hope.
1: It's reinforcing this idea that David brought up about recognizing tshuva. Bureaucracies may be slow to do, but uh, people standing up for him can recognize the sense of repentance and the the ideal to do tshuva. And, uh, of course, Hanukkah coming up, this could bring just a little bit more light into the world, right?
0: Yeah. And all Jews are responsible for each other. David's having this problem, and we have to do what we can because, you know... We have to have your back, just like you would have for any other Jew, as yeah, you've done, that's and you've already done. Kind of di-
2: what got us through? Yeah, that's it got right. Got us through that two thousand years without the land, is sticking together and being a nation no matter what. And now we can't let the land and the bureaucracy tear us apart because we've already done that
0: once. It didn't go well multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it never goes well. All right. So, listen, you. you I, I hate to say our thoughts and prayers are with you because that sounds woefully insufficient. But, but we'll we'll try to get the story out as much as we can. And uh, please send us the link to that GoFundMe and hopefully uh, yeah. people can help you out. Just because I'm sure legally this financially this is also a burden, making it difficult to work while having to pay lawyers' fees to fight this insane. I yeah. mean,
2: additional things like. My I, I don't qualify for health insurance, so I pay like ten times what my wife pays for health insurance. Right. Um, sure. If anyone hires you're not me, to get an extra fee for hiring me because I'm not a citizen. Like right. it's just there's all kinds of recurring expenses that go along with it. But Baruch Hashem, some people have donated so far to help get us through this, and we're not going to stop fighting.
0: All right. Well. Okay. We're behind you, and if you can think, if you think of other things that you want us to get out there or help you in any way, let us know because this is—I mean, this is just so clearly an injustice. And you know, the Torah says we—one of the defining characteristics is we fight for justice. So, so hang in there, and uh, please keep in touch with us and let us know how things are going, and we'll update our listeners also as you go on your journey and. Are you optimistic that it's going to end well?
2: I honestly believe it will eventually end well.
0: All right. Well, I think
2: if we just keep fighting, we can make this happen and we're not going to stop.
0: Well, now you're thinking like an Israeli. If I'm more stubborn than them, (laughs) really, that's, that's the key that's the key so nice to talk to you so nice to meet you thank you for for giving us your time and telling us you were right you said it was an interesting story it is it is although it's kind of heartbreaking it's depressing that something so unjust is being done by the Israeli government so good luck good luck with uh, with fatherhood and and with the new one on the way Uh, it should be all with health and Mazel and and all good things and Amen. anything we can do in you know in your corner, we're happy to do. Uh, thank you, Alan.
1: Thank you, Mike.
0: And you don't have to log off, but I'm gonna end the recording now because it's the end of the episode. Bye, bye.